You're listening to the Wrestling and More Pro Wrestling Podcast, the best wrestling podcast we can produce with our tiny budget. Check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and maybe leave us a five-star review. If it's wrestling you want, keep it on Wrestling and More. Let's do this. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Wrestling and More podcast, the Wrestling Review Show. We have been gone away for a while, but do not worry, we are back. I'm on my own today. Adam will be back with us in the new year, starting in January, so I'm looking forward to that. However, I am flying solo today to talk to you about Armageddon 2000, a show that took place on December the 10th, a week after Rebellion, another pay-per-view show. Um, But a couple of interesting facts about this show. Um, It is the only show to ever take place in Alabama, Um, which when you consider how much um, the WWE tours and how many shows they put on and how many pay-per-views specifically they put on, it's amazing to think that this is the only pay-per-view that has ever aired from Alabama. Um, Something that derided from that was Sweet Home Alabama as the official theme tune for Armageddon 2000. Fantastic song. Sort of juxtaposed slightly with the whole hellish element of the pay-per-view, the whole aggressive element of the pay-per-view, where you've got a song that is decidedly not heavy. Um, I just thought that was extremely funny when you are talking about the main event, which we'll get into later. Um, A six-man you know, Hell in a Cell match where they are trying to build just how hellish this structure is, how, you know, how many careers have been in jeopardy from this structure, you know, the big moments that have happened. And then you've got a nice, clean electric guitar playing a cool, funky riff. Just very, very odd. <laughs> very, very odd. But there we are. We start with the Hardy Boys versus the Radicals. Now, the Radicals were represented by Perry Satin. Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. Now, this stemmed from a date Dean had had with Lita. Um, very, very creepy when he wants to be Dean Malenko. Very creepy. Um, but uh, basically, he goes on a date. Lita invites him back to uh, the hotel room where he's jumped by the Hardy Boys. Uh, yet he is the heel. There we are. Never mind. Um, they come to the ring. Eddie Guerrero gets an absolutely Awful reception. He is booed out of the building, and that is that can only be due to fantastic heel work. So well done, Eddie, because as we've seen in today's product, it's very difficult for a heel to get booed. Nowadays, if a heel does good work, they're cheered, which defeats the object of being a heel. But back then, if you were a heel, you were rightly booed. Um, speaking of Eddie, he was the first elimination uh, after Jeff blocked a hurricane run from the top rope. Um, the ref got distracted. Lisa hit a twist of fate, and then Jeff hit a swanton bomb. So it took a lot to eliminate Eddie, but of course, still means that it's 3-2 up Hardy Boys. Um, later on, Satin then catches Jeff as he goes for Poetry Motion. Death Valley Driver, and then Jeff is eliminated. One thing I will say about Perry Satin, apart from the fact that, you know, that little sequence to eliminate Jeff was really, really good, was that he looked gassed really quite early in this match. When you consider we weren't even halfway through the match, Perry Saturn looked absolutely exhausted. Um, you know, one twist of fate and he was eliminated anyway. 
Um, Terry didn't like it, but was speared by Alita. Um, but during the kerfuffle of all that, Dean Malenko rolls up Matt Hardy, which of course leaves us with Dean Malenko versus Lita. I've said on previous podcasts, um, I said when we were talking to Harry Kettle about um, the match between James Ellsworth and Becky Lynch, that I'm still not comfortable seeing intergender matches. I, d- I don't know why. I, d- I just I don't find them entertaining, but for what it's worth, this was about as good as it can get. Lita's moonsault is absolutely wonderful. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Dean pulls out a superplex, pulls Lita up before the two count, really garnering that heel heat now, which is excellent, and then does the same after a backbreaker. Um, eventually, Lita taps after a Texas Cloverleaf, um, but then Dean refuses to break the hold. The Hardys rush back in to make the save, and Lita is carried from the ring. Uh, good match. Um, it's not the worst thing in this pay-per-view that matches are based upon. Let's put it that way. Um, but we move on from that match. Um, during the pay-per-view, we have little interview segments with all six men that are taking place in the Hell in a Cell match to close the show. Uh, the first of which is Kurt Angle, who delivers a fantastic promo. Lillian Garcia interrupts him while he's warming up, and Kurt Angle slates her for not doing her job properly and interrupting him whilst she was training. Kurt Angle is in his absolute element here. Really, really good. Really enjoyed it. Next match, William Regal versus Hardcore Holly for the European Championship. Um, William Regal was so underrated in his time with the WWE or the WWF. He was absolutely amazing. He comes down to the ring. He's the current European champion. Runs down the crowd so that they give Hardcore Holly a massive, massive motor, um, like a massive pop with him being the hometown kid. Um, doesn't really work because Hardcore Holly, even though he is from there, was a modest pop, if I'm being nice. Um, but Holly attacks Regal before the bell. Um, he jumps from the top rope, but he's hit by a nasty sounding boot from Regal. It does sound like he got a lot of um, a lot of Holly. Uh, with his kick. Um, But Regal, for me, dominates a vast majority of this match. Um, With, especially early on, with a lot of the submissions, there's a bow and arrow submission from Regal that looks incredibly nasty. Holly eventually gets win back, dominates the remainder of the match, showing a lot of feats of strength, um, which the crowd enjoy. Uh, while the referee's distracted, though, we have Raven. Um, I didn't check. I assume this is his debut in the WWF. Um, it's not really explained why he debuts, but he debuts. Um, while the back is turned, DDT's Hardcore Holly, and um, William Regal covers uh, for the win. Again, no real explanation as to why Raven was suddenly in this match. There we go. Um, but I do miss him. I thought he was absolutely brilliant in the WWF. Really, really good in ECW. One of my favourite people from ECW. Um, again, really, really underused in the WWF. Really underused. Next, in our list of interviewees from the people taking place in the uh, Hell in a Cell match is Rikishi. Possibly the person who is out of place in this main event. He's in there primarily because he hit Steve Austin with a car. 
Um, he talks about his sacrifices he's made, you know, almost sacrificed his freedom, did hit a man with a car, and what he's willing to bleh, sorry, and what he's willing to sacrifice to win, which I am to assume is every other competitor. It's not a right promo. Rikishi was never apps, you know, was never fantastic on the microphone. Um, but yeah, it was. It did what it did. Um, moving away from that, we had China versus Val Venus. Another intergender match. Uh, the match is set after Ivory attacked China, and then Val Venus attacked China to protect Ivory. Uh, during the entrances, China doesn't wait, attacks Venus, launching him really hard into the ring steps. Um, but we talked about how Dimolenko with Lita, um, he wasn't gentle with her, but you were never under the impression that Lita was going to be seriously hurt. Val Venus doesn't hold anything back on China. Now, I know China's a strong, well, was a strong lady. She was, you know, a bodybuilder, but even so, Val Venus doesn't hold back, and it's quite scary. Saying that, China's neckbreaker and the lariat she performed looked really, really good. And to be fair, she could have competed in the men's division. You know, she's an intercontinental champion or an ex-intercontinental champion. Um, but, you know, really, really good. Venus misses the money shot, um, and China begins to attempt to mount a comeback. However, she's distracted by Ivory, who runs around the ring. Really quite funny when you look at how long her skirt was. Um, slides into the ring. China follows her. Venus catches her. Hits her with a fisherman's suplex and pins for the win. So Val Venus walks away from this, the victor. Slightly different promo now. We cut to Stephanie, who is backstage talking to Vince. Vince is apoplectic that this match has been made in his absence anyway. Uh, it was made by Commissioner Foley. Um, but Stephanie's backstage asking him to stop the match as she's scared for Hunter. Now, what I did like about this pay-per-view is they cut throughout the night, as I've said, to old pay-per-view matches. So you got the match from Bad Blood uh, between Shawn Michaels and um, The Undertaker. You got the match from No Mercy 2000 between Triple H and Mick Foley, which they reference here. And of course, you've got that infamous match between The Undertaker and Mankind at Hell in a Cell 1998. Um, but she talks about how you know how much Hunter left in the ring, how much Triple H left in the ring. After this paper, uh, after that pay per view, after No Mercy 2000, and how much fighting Cactus Jack on that Hell in a Cell just left him, left his body broken. They do a really good job, these two, of building up the Hell in a Cell as this demonic structure. And I, just, I don't feel like it's it's used in that way anymore. Obviously, it's got, we've got a pay per view Hell in a Cell now, and I feel like it dilutes it somewhat. Which is a shame because here you do genuinely think, whoa, something massive is going down. Something huge. We then cut to The Undertaker, who's another participant in that match. Uh, he talks about the side of him that comes out during the cell matches that's more animal than human. Uh, he recounts his matches with Michaels at Bad Blood, which we talked about earlier, and then again Mick Foley at King of the Ring. And Undertaker has got, he never raises his voice, he never changes his facial expression, but he's got that intensity. And... For me, watching this pay-per-view, I, obviously I knew who won anyway, but if I didn't know what you'd think, I, I genuinely think Undertaker here. You know, he's given the strongest prom he's given the strongest promo. He's done this before, and genuinely looked extremely focused on what he had to do. Um, next follows another promo segment. Vince comes to the ring with uh, Briscoe and Patterson. Says he meant everything he said on SmackDown about wanting to divorce Linda. Uh, 
There you go. <laughs> Says it feels genuine fear for the six men in the main event. Now, this is where, again, Vince does fantastically in putting over how serious this structure is and how serious this match is. It's really, really good. Um, he then asks the fans if they will join him in preventing the main event, met by an absolute volley of boos from the fans and says it will be on Foley's conscience and the fans storms off. The main event is still on. <sighs> what follows next is... We talked earlier about how a six-man tag had been set up by a dodgy date. And I said, it's certainly not the match that has the flimsiest feud going into it. No, 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 no. It's this one uh, between Chris Jericho and Kane. Now, the feud itself was really good. I can't complain about the feud itself. What started the feud, however, is utterly ridiculous. What started the feud was Chris Jericho turned around with a cup of coffee, accidentally spilt it on Kane. Yeah. Um, obviously, I know Kane has issue with fire, has issues with burning, but coffee, cup of coffee, really? And there you go. Anyway, this led to the two of them pasting each other up and down the, the arenas wherever they went for a good couple of weeks until eventually this was made a last man standing match. Um Really looking forward to this match. Kane attacks Jericho before he gets even gets to the ring. They fight up the ramp. Really, really good. <laughs> they fight backstage as well. Up the ramp and backstage. However, the camera stays the other side of the curtains. So all you can see is the curtain. You can't see them fighting until obviously someone tells them to change the camera angle. Because there's a good 30 seconds where they're fighting and you can't see them. So, really, they needed to have sorted that out. Um, however, they fight through backstage. They eventually get back to the ring. After that initial aggressive period, there was a massive lull in the middle. Not a lot happened at all, really. And... It's a shame because these two could create magic together. And even though this wasn't a terrible match by any stretch of the imagination, and please don't think I'm saying that it was a terrible match, just the middle seemed, there seemed to be nothing, nothing to speak of anyway. Um, a couple of things to take from it really were the fact that Jericho would not stay down. Um, you know, they were going for that kind of plucky underdog. Um the thing that Sami Zayn played before his heel turn. Um, eventually he's hit for, by an absolutely thunderous chokeslam from Kane. I've seen Kane deliver a lot of chokeslams, but this was absolutely thunderous. Jericho rallies, begins to wear Kane down with a lot of missile drop kicks and some vicious chair shots. Really good spot where he puts a chair on the chest of Kane, then hits a lion salt. That was a really good spot. They fight again out of the ring, up the stage, um, and eventually the pinfall is given after Jericho bulldogs Kane through a table and pushes the set onto him. Um, obviously, Kane can't get up because the set's on him. Um, ten count, Jericho is your winner. I wasn't sure how I felt about this because I thought in a last man standing match between Jericho and Kane, you would assume that Kane is going to win. But I'd... On closer inspection, I don't mind it because, of course, Kane is extremely strong and it's taken a lot to keep him down. So I don't think 
he lost any credibility coming out of this match having lost. Um, Jericho certainly gained a lot having won it, um, but Kane is Kane. He's a monster. Um, you know, he'd carry on being brilliant no matter what. Next, we had um, a four-way tag team championship match between Edge and Christian, Road Dog and K-Quick, Right to Censor, who were the current tag team champions, and the Dudley Boys. Now, <clears throat> I'll start by saying I'll be happy if I never, ever, ever have to hear Road Dog and K-Quick rap ever again. It was utter noise pollution. Just... Oh, it was just, it was horrible. I mean, K-Quick's bad now. Well, our truth is bad now, but oh, his stuff with Road Dog was absolutely dreadful. Um, begins. Um, there's not a lot really to say about this match. There's a lovely bit where Road Dog and Bubba Ray begin their signature punching moves in sync, but realize and then floor each other before Edge and Christian attempt to cover them, uh, cover both of them, which is brilliant. There's two 3Ds in this match. The first one is called a 3D. I'm not entirely sure that it was. It didn't look like one. I don't know whether it was a botch or whether it, the commentators just called it a 3D and it wasn't one. It didn't look like one. Um, the second one is to the Godfather, and yes, that is definitely that is definitely a 3D. The Dudleys dominated for most of this match. Um, looked extremely strong and were built extremely strong. Um, Weirdly, right to censor, even though they are the champions. And got very, very little offense in. Um, in fact, I don't really remember them in the match, which is not a good showing for your tag team champions, really. The finish was completely out of nowhere. Um, Edge and Christian win after an unprettier when the ref wasn't looking. And Edge and Christian leave as your tag team champions. I swear, every time I watch a pay-per-view from the Attitude Era or around that era, and the tag team's championships are being defended, Edge and Christian win them. Um, I don't know whether it's just the ones I'm picking, but there you go. Another promo backstage now. Stephanie's now talking to uh, Triple H. Again, Stephanie plays the concerned girlfriend card, but Hunter yells about how the belt is the most important thing in the world to him. Again, references that match with Cactus Jack, No Mercy 2000, and plays on his injuries. But again, from all the men who have given promos about them wanting the championship you haven't doubted any of them you haven't doubted the the drive behind any of them which is good that's the reason for these promos but next we had billy gunn who's the current intercontinental champion versus chris benoit in an intercontinental championship match benoit spends most of the match targeting billy gunn's knees which is a good strategy the commentators, however, spend the vast majority <coughs> of this match talking about his earring, which gets really, really irritating after a while, especially as you've got quite good wrestling going on in the ring. You've got Chris Benoit, one of the ring, the ring's best technicians, and all you're doing is talking about Billy Gunn's earring. For God's sake, just drop it. It doesn't matter. It's not even that. It, it, it is awful, but it's not that bad. Just leave it, for goodness sake. Benoit, as you would expect... Dominates throughout, but Billy does begin to kind of mount a comeback after a missed flying headbutt from the rabid Wolverine. Billy Gunn. <laughs> I've never truly understood why the two people I've seen perform the jackhammer. <coughs> Sorry. 
two people perform the jackhammer were badass Billy Gunn and Goldberg. They just don't seem to correlate as a pairing. Nevertheless, we saw a jackhammer and a famouser, but Benoit does kick out at two. I love the fact that Gunn uses the jackhammer as a transitional move, as like a middle finger to Goldberg. Eventually, Benoit locks in the crossface, but his foot is on the ropes. Again, bit of transitional moving. Billy Gunn again tries to mount a comeback. However, Benoit locks in the crossface again after a brief rally from Gunn, and Gunn taps. We have got a new Intercontinental Champion. Women's Championship time next, and we have a triple threat that involves Ivory the Champion versus Trish Stratus and Molly Holly. We talked earlier about Survivor Series 2012 in a review with me and Adam, and we talked about how the women's match was absolutely awful. And the reason for that was that the match descended very, very quickly into the two women screaming at each other, banging each other's head into the mats, into, into the mats, sorry, and just pulling each other's hair, which isn't wrestling. However, here, all three competitors look good in the ring, especially Molly Holly. Not the longest match in the world. Uh, Molly Holly hits Trish with a sit-out powerbomb. Ivory moves her and pins Trish to retain her championship. Albert and Tess then appear to attack Molly Holly, and the APA and Crash appear to then run them out. The APA were brilliant. They were just big horses who just did not care. And it was probably my favourite incarnation of JBL before he became, obviously, the Wall Street millionaire. Main event time now, and we had The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker versus Rikishi versus Triple H versus Kurt Angle, your WWE champion, in hell in a cell. What a match this was. Brutal, but absolutely fantastic. The build-up was excellent. The promo package before the match, multi-layer build-up showing images of the hit and run, Cars being dropped, etc., etc. The feud between Rikishi, Austin, Triple H, The Rock, all those interweaving storylines all bought into this package was absolutely fantastic. All the competitors made their way to the ring. The pop for Stone Cold is absolutely unbelievable. It's deafening, and you just don't get pops like that now. I mean, the closest that the WWE has got now is probably AJ Styles, and AJ Styles' pop does not come close to touching this. He is an absolute icon of the wrestling industry. I mean, a lot of the match starts with just brawling and just an all-out war. Triple H is absolutely mauled by Austin, then is mauled by The Undertaker. Triple H bleeds very, very early in this match. He loves a bleed, does Triple H, but in this match, he starts early. Then there was an excellent segment where all the finishes were performed in a, in a row to each other apart from Rikishi's. Um, again, more brawling. The, um, the spills onto the outside. Still in the cage, but on the outside. Eventually, a sawdust truck pulls up. Still no idea why it is a sawdust truck, but a truck pulls up with Vince McMahon and Patterson and Briscoe on the back. He attempts to pull the cage down to stop the match. Mick Foley stops him. Because, you know, Mick has more power than the owner, Vince McMahon, apparently. Dismisses the Stooges and the people in the truck. Um, and also has Vince removed by security. I just want to leave that with you. Mick Foley, the commissioner, has Vince McMahon, the owner, dismissed from the arena. How does that work? How does that work? That really bugged me when it happened. But even so, that happens. Of course, they leave the truck there. 
The fighting then spills onto the outside. There's cars as part of the set on the stage. All men get bumps on those. All men are bleeding now. Um, it, it really is an all-out war. Um, Triple H is hit with a camera. Austin has his head put through the window of the truck. Angle has his head put through a car window. There's rock bottoms on top of cars. It's There's no wrestling whatsoever. It is just an all-out brawl. Um, you know, the rock is pedigreed on the roof of a car. It's just, it's vicious. And it's what Hell in a Cell isn't anymore. And it's a shame. It really is. It it used to be, because it only happened once a year, if that, it really, really was an eye-opening thing. And it just, it, it, it isn't anymore. Because obviously we've got the pay-per-view now where... It's just people expect those matches. And it's just, it really has diluted the the demonic structure, shall we say. But then um, the brawling makes its way to the top of the cage with Kurt Angle. Uh, Triple H, I believe, is up there at one point. Undertaker and Rikishi. A lot of fighting takes place. Then, of course, we had um, Kurt Angle making his way down, trying to escape. Undertaker and Rikishi continue to brawl. You can see where this is going. The sawdust truck is still next to the Hell in a Cell. The two fight. Um, Undertaker pushes Rikishi. Rikishi falls back off the cell in one of the most iconic Hell in a Cell moments, straight into the back of the sawdust lorry. It is a great moment, made for some great pictures, um, and it also takes Rikishi out of the match. But what makes it even better is the faces of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, who are watching this happen, going, oh God, I think The Undertaker might have just murdered a man. Um, again, The Rock gets stunned. I couldn't name you a person in the WWE who sold the Stone Cold Stunner as well as The Rock did. Um, over the top, completely, but still the bestseller. He gets stunned. Um, Austin is then hit hard uh, by Triple H, rolled off The Rock after stunnering him, and Kurt Angle, who is a mess, he really is a mess, um, kind of gets an arm on top of The Rock and pins him for the win. Um, after retaining, Kurt stands up, not entirely knowing where he is, and he then gets stunned by Stone Cold Steve Austin to the applause and for the love of all the people watching, and then Stone Cold's music plays. Despite Kurt Angle having retained his championship, Stone Cold's music plays. I don't understand that either, people. But there we are, and that was Armageddon 2000. And let me tell you, after watching Survivor Series 2012, which was a night of one spot, this was brilliant. The main event was fantastic. The opening match between the Hardys and the Radicals wasn't too bad, you know, as opening matches go. Um, Kane versus Chris Jericho was okay. You know, there wasn't a lot to speak of in that match, but it was mainly because of that lull in the middle, good spots either side. Um, the match between Benoit and Billy Gunn was pretty good. The tag team matches were what they were. They weren't great, but, you know... A lot of the wrestling at the time was... As for next time on Wrestling & More, we will be reviewing NXT Arrival. The first kind of special show that NXT did. Um, they'd gone moved away from just being a talent show. 
thank God, and had become its own standalone brand. And we will be reviewing NXT Arrival, its first kind of takeover show. So thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, if there's anything you would like us to review on the show, if there's a pay for you you'd like me to watch or endure, depending on how bad it is, then please let me know. But until next time, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Wrestling and More's Pro Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WAM Podcast UK, on Facebook, and check out the website, wrestlingandmoreblog.weebly.com. Until next time, wrestling fans. 